Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You are tuned in listening to the Cinematic Odyssey here on United to the Moose. Episode 51. We are here to talk about a very, very, very family-friendly movie. Another one. Absolutely. We're, we're, on a, we're on a streak, dude. Two for two. <laughs> First Wolf Wall Street, now this. Um... Max and I, we're going to be talking about Stanley Kubrick's final film, unfortunately, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, this is his, I want to say, 10th, 12th work. 14th. I'll get that um, answer for you. It's something like that. It was his final al- uh, f- album, final film. Uh, came out in 99. There's a lot of you know, for those that know, there's a lot of like conspiracy theories surrounding this film, which I think we'll I'll definitely mention, um, and like lots of controversy specifically around Nicole Kidman's and Tom Cruise's marriage. You know, theories about how this film destroyed their marriage, and like the themes of the film, the big bad scene in the middle of it, uh, which we'll talk about. Uh, the the production history of of this film and all ultimately obviously it being Stanley Kubrick's final work and um he unfortunately passed away i think it was a couple of days after release or no 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 after after private screening oh yeah of to the ex- final cut ex- yeah of the final cut to executives and the cr- cr- the crew and cast. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, he, he passed away of a heart attack at his home. Um, and the world of cinema has had lost a, a, a legend on that day. But um, I guess w- where to start with this, because this, this film is such a, it's such a beast considering yeah. what it's about. I mean, well, I mean, it's such a taboo, I guess, subject. Um, I mean, you want to start with who's in it? Yeah, I mean, obviously you got Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman as the leads, and they were married at the time. Were they really? Um, they were. They were married. Um, and Kubrick actually wanted them. He wanted them for this film. He thought they he thought they were the perfect fit, considering the celebrity status around the two of them at the time, um, and the fact that they were married. So, you know, he was like, "All right, let's bring let's bring them on." And they wanted to do it. I mean, do I blame them working with Stanley Kubrick, like the greatest filmmaker uh, of all time, in my humble opinion? Um, <laughs> who would pass that up? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, a lot went into the planning of the cast. He had initially considered a lot of people for the role, the lead roles, because he initially thought of this movie as being a comedy. He was initially going to try and and, and create it as a comedy, and so he had thought of uh, Steve Martin, um, uh, because of his, right. yeah. his performance in The Jerk. He looked at Woody Allen. Um, Tom Hanks, Bill Murray, 
lot of lot of lot of very comic actors, which would be. It, I mean, I would I would I would love to see Bill Murray in this role. He would he would have been like what fifty probably at that point though. I think Tom Cruise at his you know twenties thirties really helps to sell kind of the curiosity, the intrigue. Yeah, or at least definitely. like the idea of young people settling into marriage. But I mean, there's a a few characters in this movie, but there's a lot of like lore that surrounds everybody. You've got the Ziegler's, uh, rich friends of Bill, who Bill is Tom Cruise, um, Sidney Pollock. You've got pianist Nick Nightingale, played by Todd Field. Yes, that Todd Field, the one who directed oh. Tar. Um, that guy. Yeah. Uh, Tristan may or may not have opinions on Tar. I don't know if you've been listening or not. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Tristan has left me with some kind of mixed feelings about Todd Field. I don't know. He hasn't really spoken in any certain terms. <laughs> that's a that's a joke. <laughs> um, uh, there's. I mean, you've got Mr. Milich, the owner of a costume rental store, his daughter, a few Japanese men who kind of just show up for a little bit. Um, you've got Thomas Gibson as this random woman's boyfriend, Carl. Thomas Gibson, if you know, um, he long time on Criminal Minds as Aaron Hotchner. That's more for my sister than anybody else, really. But she's not listening, so... Aww. Uh, so I mean, I mean, we've got you had two um, young prostitutes, sex workers, uh, Domino and Sally. You'll have Alan Cumming making an appearance, and I was shocked to see him. Um, known for Floop in the Spy Kids franchise, also known as the MC in Cabaret on Broadway, second and third revivals. Fantastic performer. Um, you know, you've got Mandy, uh, who becomes important later. I mean, a lot of not really important, importantly named characters, but a lot of thick details surrounding the development of this story. And I mean, it's honestly, the film crawls. The film is very, it feels to me, quite slow. In that, you know, it, it it's the speed of a leisurely walk around the park. Like, you know, you know how you are when you're watching like 70-year-olds go for a walk? And you're like, I could have done that faster. Why didn't you just ask me to get the mail from your mailbox? It wouldn't, it would have, wouldn't have taken me three minutes to get down my driveway. That's sort of what the film does, but because we we spend the time to get invested in these characters and get invested in the circumstance, we kind of just dig ourselves deeper into this hole, the tension builds. And that way, every it keeps that same pace all the way through, which is impressive. Yeah. But then every one of those slow steps that were so monotonous and boring in the beginning is so filled with pressure there's someone looking behind me 
there's something coming from around the corner. There are eyes on me everywhere. There's that feeling of being watched. There's that feeling of there being a threat behind you. And it's, mm. it, it, I mean, it's, that, it's just masterful, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot to talk about this film. And I think oh, to yeah. begin, um, coming with the production, pre-production, and like general, like origin story of Stanley and his relationship with the, the book, Title Trom Nouvelle. Um, he initially, this is a claim from Kirk Douglas, who he worked with on two films, uh, the masterpiece Paths of Glory, and then the he took a he, he made Stanley do a director's gig, basically a gig job for for Kirk on the film Spartacus. Uh, and on the set, I guess somebody gave him the book. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what Kirk Douglas says. But he he came in contact with the book in the 60s. He was recently married with his wife, who is now widowed, obviously. But she's still alive. uh, Christiane uh, Harlan Kubrick. And she, um, I guess she had told Stanley that making a film on this based off this book is unwise to do it at that time in their relationship because it was so like new and they were young too they were very young at the time uh well young i mean yeah in the grand scheme of things they were young they were in like their 30s but <clears throat> i think he had they had just had their first kid too as well so Obviously, kind of tackling a a book with these themes and with these ideas uh, was something that he always was wanting to do. This was like his passion project. I mean, he himself said this is his greatest achievement or greatest, uh, not achievement. Well, yes. What did he say? He said it was my greatest uh, cinematic work or something like that. I think that was... I think that's accurate. Cinematic work, I, I that sounds right. I think he said something along those lines. He, he either said, yeah, greatest achievement in cinema or whatever. Basically, something along those lines when it was finished. Um, unfortunately, he never got to see the reception because he, as I mentioned, he passed away. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Traum Nouvelle, it's a book written by some... I think German guy named Arthur Schnitzler. <laughs> I think that's how you say his name. His name. Um, yeah, that's it. Schnitzler. And, and uh, as you mentioned, he wanted to adapt it as a comedy, but obviously that's not what he uh, kind of landed on. Um, the book takes place in 1860s Vienna, so he transported or transported. He adapted the screenplay to take place in New York in present day. Um, And fun fact, Stanley Kubrick left and moved to the UK in the 60s, and he had never left. He never moved anywhere else. He always always lived there, and he's like, very rarely did he ever go back to the United States. Like, rarely. He shot every film after... 
I think it was like after Paths of Glory, I believe, or Spartacus. I think it was after Spartacus. Every film after that, he shot in England, including this one, uh, where all the exterior shots of Tom Cruise walking on the streets, or on the sidewalks, is on a soundstage or is on a set that was built, which is crazy. And Stanley Kubrick's a New Yorker. The guy grew up in Bronx. So funny that, you know, he, well, he hated, he hated New York. So, you know, <laughs> hated <Yeah>. Los Angeles. <laughs> he was a, he was a reclusive man. I guess that's, that's, he's kind of famous for that. But, um, I mean, yeah, this film tackles, obviously, number one, sex and relationships, trust, uh, power dynamics in a relationship, using sex as a tool to achieve power, um, and fantasies and, like, jealousy, jealousy. That's that's a big one. Uh, that's a big thing he that is discussed in this film. I mean, yeah. there's a whole discussion of it between Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise's character in the film for like 15 minutes or however long that scene went. It's a great scene. It's um, a really good scene. And and also too, like for that scene specifically. Well, as far as I've I've heard and read. Uh, and seen on like documentaries and stuff. Shooting this film, well, for one, at the time, they sh- they took them four hundred days to shoot this, which was the longest uh shoot for a film ever at the time. Uh, <laughs> four hundred days. It took them four hundred days to shoot this. <laughs> Yeah, and according to Tom and Nicole, there's like they they said, you know, we will work as long as you want to work on this. Like they didn't yeah. put an en- they they signed open ended contracts yeah, to work on crazy. for as yeah, long I mean, as Kubrick needed. Yeah. Uh. I, sure. Um. <laughs> I mean, he's a the guy was a perfectionist, so everything had to be his way. Um. But. Yeah, that but that scene in particular that I'm referencing, it was I, th- I think it was only Tom, Nicole, and Kubrick in that room when they were shooting it, or it was Kubrick and like the cinematographer and like, Nicole and Kidman and I, th- or Nicole, Nicole and Kidman, Nicole and Tom, and I think that was it in that in, in that room when they shot that, and they they Kubrick made him do it over and over and over and over again to the point where they, Tom, Tom says that like they shot that scene so many times that he got into a state of like delirium where him and Nicole were like loopy and were just kind of I don't know they were they were kind of lost in themselves. They were entranced, I guess, by just the rep- repetition of it. Um, and then the scene that we see in the final cut of the film is, I guess, them in that state. Well, I mean, they do 
canonically smoke pot right before that. So, I mean, makes sense. Yeah. But they were, but I mean, being pushed to a state of delirium, damn. So I think I think I think that's what he says. He says something along those lines. But yeah, they he said they sh- reshot that scene like probably hundreds of times. Oh no, that would be a record actually, which The Shining has that record in our mind. Probably like near a hundred times. <laughs> that's incredible, and <laughs> you know crazy. I, I mean, we, we can't forget to mention, though, the one piece of information about this that why we're talking about it right now. This is a Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a Christmas is a movie. Christmas There's a Christmas movie. tree in every freaking room. Yeah. It's great. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, complete, I'm completely convinced of this fact that Kubrick chose to film or at least set the film during Christmas. Because he could get away with all of the string lights and the bulbs and the Christmas trees and have that be sort of the ambiance and the ambient light. So yeah. that way he wouldn't need to light. I mean, it, it, it's a lot of it takes place at night. But yeah. honestly, this is like my dream. Can I just live in a world that's all Christmas lights 24-7? Like, <laughs> my God, I've got them hanging right now and they've been hanging since september uh <laughs> you know they they hang in my room 24 7 365 he centered the 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 time of this around christmas so he could work on low lighting and you know specifically creating things with l- low natural light and greater um, the idea of the, the bulbs and the trees and the, yeah. uh, I mean, especially the t- the scene in the Nightingale Lounge or the the There's cafe. cafe. Yeah, it's very soft. Like, oh, yeah, it's not Nightingale. That's his last name. Yeah, that's it. But it's incredibly dark, and you've just got that light at the table Yeah. to do all of it. You've got Christmas lights in the background, the 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 good kind, the one that probably aren't made anymore because they're probably incredibly inefficient and bad for the environment. But um, <laughs> it's that nice color. And I mean, for God, even, even the film that he shot shot on was produced by Kodak that they don't make any. They didn't make it anymore. But Kodak heard it and they're like, you know, we will make as much as you need for this like- movie incredible the pool that stanley had to, to freaking make kodak have them make him film that they didn't even produce that's crazy to me but i mean the the color in this is beautiful i know in the every blues oh yeah the blues oh my gosh the deep blues are beautiful i mean everybody's wearing black or white there's not much color i mean there's gold usually in the background and the settings it's just the it's the white light, it's the blue, it's the red, it's the yellow, it's the purple. Mm. Oh, it's stunning. Yeah. I there's something really, really, really soothing about the visuals in in this. I mean, oh gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um and 
I, I to add to that with the lighting, because in Barry Lyndon, that that was shot in the seventies. He 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 made it a point to only shoot that film in natural light, and he achieved that pretty much flawlessly. I mean, the film is one of the most like it, literally every frame is a painting in that in that film. I I think that's his best work. And it's one of the most beautiful uh, films I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Barry Lyndon, incredibly looking film. Uh, and he shot it with like candle lights and stuff. Like there's shots in that film where the only source of lights is from candles. And in that film, he required um, a NASA, like basically a lens that NASA only had. <laughs> to shoot the film <laughs> and he got and it he, yeah and he got <laughs> it to fit on the camera he had some like dude basically like frankenstein a camera with this lens to shoot that film like the candlelight scene specifically dang that's insane yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back to eyes wide shut though yeah i mean it's the same idea with the with the the light bulbs and all that Basically, he's doing like kind of what he did with Barry Lyndon in terms of these very low light scenes where that technique is highlighted to the the to the T, um, most especially in the Sonata Cafe um, set. And fun fact: Stanley Kubrick's a he he's an extra in the background. I don't know if you know if I don't know if you saw him or not. I didn't see him, but I saw the note. Yeah, he's um. When Tom, well, when Doctor Hartford, I'm gonna refer to him as that. There we when go. he's walking into the into the cafe and it's the, like the follow, like when the sh the camera's following him behind his back. Yeah. Stanley's sitting in like a booth on the left and he's like looking at the camera. He's the old guy with the beard, and the in the glasses, in the background on the left side of the frame. Um, are you looking for it? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's irrelevant. I don't know what he looks like. But it's like, um, looking, it's like I'm looking for um, I don't know, Da Vinci or somebody. I don't know what he looks like. I just know his work. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, I mean, the film looks beautiful. Um, and. It wastes no time kind of telling you what this is going to be about. I mean, literally, the first shot is of Nicole Kidman's. <laughs> She's naked. <laughs> She's putting yeah. clothes on. You know? I mean, I, I was, I, I didn't know what I, I, I had heard enough about this being, you know, this is the sex cult one. And I'm like, okay, but how culty really is it? Um, very, but we'll get into that. Um, mm -hmm. but. I, uh, I, I don't think it's it's the nudity alone that does it for making this film very you know. And we were having this discussion beforehand too. I don't think it's just the nudity alone that makes this film, you know, not just R rated, but um, sexual. It's the amount. It's the quantity. There, uh, th there is. 
I think nearly... Uh, I'm not sure how many major female characters are in this film who do not... Who are not either in their underwear or naked. I mean, it's rampant. <laughs> uh, I mean, holy yeah. crap. Yeah. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. You set the tone immediately with a rear nude shot of Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Um, Alice Harford getting into her dress for a fancy party. Like, immediately, okay, that's probably a sign of stuff to come. And it is. Yeah, it is. And because I mean, the to give a general gist of what, the, like plot wise, what it, what happens, basically Alice <clears throat> um, has a conversation with Bill, and in this conversation, she tells him that while they were on vacation in Cape Cod, she saw this naval officer or whatever, and she said that if he wanted. If he wanted to have me for one night, she would throw everything away um, to to have basically a one night stand with that guy. Because yeah. the way that that and then then we see for the next like two and a half hours, two hours, Bill going on an, a long odyssey journey through New York, through Long Island and him it, having these encounters with various different people. A prostitute, um, a man and his like daughter, and some two creepy gentle gentlemen, two creepy guys. Uh, the sex cult thing, which we'll all talk about. Um, like, oh yeah, his his client, his like patient's daughter. That whole situation, like, he's just. And and you know throughout this entire journey he's constantly thinking about what his wife told him. He's like playing that scenario in his head over and over again. The jealousy is like burning inside of him, and he's trying to get back at him or back at her in some way. Um, but ultimately, nothing really happens. Well, that's not true. But he doesn't do anything. I guess. No, but he's kind of surrounded by it and maybe puts yeah. him and his family in worse trouble yes. than if he had just cheated. Yeah. Um, I mean, the intention's there. Yes, it is. It is there. Just because he doesn't follow through doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, better. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he definitely intended to get back at his wife in some way or another. And then he fell down such a deep rabbit hole. He was like, uh, never mind. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's honestly just curiosity. Like Nick's blabbing about, Oh, I go to this spot. They just tell me when to show up. It's a two in the morning. Uh, they blindfold me and I play blindfolded. But last time they left the blindfold really bad. And so I could see some of the people. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of teases him with the, the idea of nudity. Yeah. And, and the idea of the, what, what, what might this be? Right. Which, the, 
the the part I mean, what curiosity takes over Bill at that point? Because let's be honest here. He self describes he hasn't seen this guy, Nick, in ten years. Start of the film. Mm-hmm. He sees him back to back nights, uh, ends up going to a party that he recommends uh with a password. I mean <laughs> I, I I will be completely honest with you. There are some people from my grade school that I have not spoken to in 10 years. If I ran into them more than once in a two-day span, I'd wonder what the hell's going on, and I'd probably not stick around for that conversation. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> I'm good, man. I, I'm, I'm good. Like... I mean, I get it's it's still the interest. He's still up for the idea of wanting to get back at Alice for her fantasy, by the way. Not for her action, but for her fantasy. Like, he... I... I lost the ability to make words function. But, like... <laughs> he... At what point did you think, okay, like, there are so many steps. He has to rent a costume, and he has to get to Long Island, and he has insurance, and he has to get a cab. Like, this dude really has nothing better to do with his life. No, he doesn't. Like, well, that's, yeah. he's like a doctor, too. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um. Because <clears throat> at this party, the first party they go to, it's it, he was invited by one of his patients, clients, or whatever, um, who's played by Sidney Pollack, the Ziegler or Ziegler. Yep. Uh, Victor. And, you know, at this party, you can get the sense that there is a very clear divide in class, because that's also a theme of this film is the conversation around class. You know, you know, to us, Bill is well off. I mean, the dude lives on Central Park West. Um, Massive dude, apartment. Yeah, the dude is rich, to put it lightly um, or bluntly. But like, and then his client is rich on a whole nother level, like friggin' a hundred times richer than him. And... You know, we kind of get the sense of that when we see his his apartment or whatever, whatever that is. Yeah, apartment, I guess. Freaking mansion apartment. Like, um, yeah. All those people there and like it, basically a bunch of like high class socialite types. And. Tom, well, Bill and Alice, they get separated at the party. Uh, when when Bill sees Nick, Alice runs into this older man, um, who is very clearly trying to get in the bed with Alice, um, and then that kind of sparks that conversation that um Bill and Alice have in their room after the party, because she started dancing with this guy. And, you know, he was trying his best to seduce her 
And she was also being very, like, seductive as well. Like, in her, her, I, I don't know, do you agree? I would say she was. Like, the way she was talking to him and, like. I agree. Her. I mean, she is, movement. she does, she does say she's tipsy, which is possible. Yeah. She's a persona mm -hmm. from being drunk, but I would, I would agree. Um, yeah. There is a lot of seduction going on very, very quickly because yeah. the two girls surrounding Bill are yeah, trying to seduce him and pull him away upstairs to another room so that they can spend time with him. And when I say spend time with him, I mean spend time, wink, wink, with him. Um, <laughs> and, and our dear Hungarian, what is he? He's Bulgarian, right? Bulgarian? I don't know. I think he was Hungarian. Our, that's our what good, said, what they said. Our good Eastern European friend uh, is getting his flirt on heavily. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he, yeah, he initiated, and the models initiated with with Bill. Yeah, and then Bill gets interrupted because Ziegler was going at it with a with a prostitute hooker or whatever prostitute sex worker. Um, a yeah. Well, I mean, and, we'll find out later. She's a former Miss USA winner. Yeah, she um, she was presumably dying. She OD'd. Oh yeah, on on some drug, and um, and it's funny because it's like I don't know. I was just thinking, like, imagine, imagine having well, one the trust, and then two, like the power to have your doctor come in in that situation to that room and like not have to worry about him saying anything to anybody about it. You know what I mean? I think Yo, that was pretty crazy. I mean, it's doctor patient confidentiality, man. I mean, no, well, it's not his lawyer. Patient. He's not like his lawyer or anything. That's, that's true. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, Bill knows what's good for him. He knows, well, I mean, eventually he doesn't, but he knows what's good for him, and he'll, sh he'll shut up. Yeah, and so, fortunately, the woman lives, and she's fine, and, uh, and it's like, you know, at first, at first, it, it's like, okay, that's weird, um, and, you know, you kind of get this sense, like, okay, this Ziegler guy is not a good dude, he, you know, obviously he's a serial cheater on his wife yeah. right yeah. that's his wife that is with him when we first see him right i'm assuming that yes is. yeah okay yeah um but i mean i mean if you want to the even the introduction we can kind of get the idea that he's not that great of a guy because you know they when they enter it's um i'm gonna use a little bit of stage terms you've got Ziegler and Bill upstage, uh, and uh, his wife, I think, I believe her name is Alona, and Alice down in front of the camera. And they both greet the person they're in front of first, but then they go for the X, the cross, to greet the people that they didn't. And Ziegler crosses, and Alice crosses, and they, he, they kind of, it breaks up Bill turning to greet Alona, and... Ziegler kind of stays, he does a kiss on one cheek, and then a kiss on another cheek, and then, like, a hug. Like, he lingers 
and it's noticeable that he lingers yeah. and that he kind yeah. of just stays there a little bit longer than he greeted Bill. And I mean, I feel like that we could, it's foreshadowed all the way through. Yeah. And, um, and then also his wife mentions that he's, he's like, Oh, you look gorgeous or something like that. And she's like, Oh, he says that to all the women. <laughs> see. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, and then the, the famous conversation happens between Nicole and Tom in their room. They're smoking that ganja. Because <laughs> so the way it starts, I mean, it's honestly a very fascinating discussion they have. I mean, yes, it is. Talk about what they talk about. And because basically, Tom is like, or Bill, Bill, excuse me. He's Bill. like, I don't blame any guy who would want to have sex with you. you know, you're a beautiful woman, as he says, um, something along those lines, paraphrasing, but. And then she gets mad at him for saying that because she thinks that just what is she, she's like that cheapens her in a way. It's like the it's only primitive. reason people like the only reason people like men talk to me is because they want to. Well, uses the f word, but Do me. I'm not gonna. Uh, yeah, is is to sleep with me. Yeah. <laughs> and she drops that word a lot. She she. She drops on him that it's primitive that men have not men have not evolved past needing to you know I mean again she's very vulgar but I mean it gets the point across gets the picture mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they've they haven't evolved past the stick it in phase and women you know don't need that and he's like well I don't know I'm not a woman I haven't you know he's like I don't think they do mm-hmm. which Bill yeah. As you know, you know, as someone who's not been married for nine years, uh, but you know, someone who has been around a female before, maybe, just maybe, you should shut up and not try to project <laughs> what do you think life is like. And what desires are like, as well as generalizing that, not just like yeah. with the person that you love and have spent the past like 10 years mm-hmm. with. Maybe you should not generalize it for everybody uh, as well, because you're going to find yourself in a hole so, so quickly. <laughs> yeah. And because then immediately after that, she schools him and tells that whole story of her wanting to sleep with some other dude. And. <laughs> He's like he's shell shocked, dude is dude is thousand yards staring her. <laughs> that is the most captivating five minutes I think I've had in the movie. I mean that oh god. It's yeah, stunning. I mean, yeah. Uh yeah, her the, her acting, she kills it. She Oh yeah. I mean she it's unfortunate we don't really see her that much in the film. Uh in comparison yeah. to Bill. Because like, kind of, I mean, it's Bill is the one that we primarily see, uh, and Tom. Tom's good. I think he's he's not that bad. I don't think he's that bad. I know no, people I mean, like to rag on his performance in this film, but I, I think I think uh, for what he had to do, I think he was good. I don't think he, I mean the guy. The guy's talented. I think the guy's talented. He's not yeah. just an action action guy. I think he's he has right. more range than that. 
Um, but fact. anyways, what's that? Fun fact: PTA offered Tom his role in Magnolia from visiting the set of uh oh, Vice My Shot. Vice My Shot. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't know that. So that's where he got the. Uh, that's where we get respect. Yeah. Respect the cock. Respect. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That's a line from Magnolia. Paul Thomas. Yes, that had I I gave that mid reviews. Dude, Magnolia yeah. is great. Magnolia is amazing. You're tripping. But anyways, eyes wide anyways. shut. Anyways. <laughs> so yeah, and then this this conversation they have sparks the idea of like jealousy, uh, and whether or not that's like a necessary component of a relationship. You know what I mean? Or like cuz Bill as Alice kind of points out, she thinks he's naive. Or she thinks he's naive and kind of dumb to be secure in her to to trust her to not be unfaithful to him. Uh, Yeah. You know, and I don't know if I agree with that because like, what's the point of being in a relationship if you can't trust your partner? You know? I don't know. I think maybe I'm misinterpreting what she's saying? I mean, I think it's, I think she's more speaking to the idea of desire. Because Bill has said, oh, okay. you know, men desire you uh, because you're beautiful. But right. women don't desire me because they don't feel the need to. And she spins this tale, which, I'll be honest, I fully believe to be true, of, of yeah. the uh, naval officer. And I, I think it's just to prove and stick a nail in him and say, you know, women can desire as well. It, it's not a strictly male thing. Oh, absolutely. But he he takes this as, well, this is she's she's unfaithful to me. And uh, again, like that idea of immediately needing revenge. Yeah. Desire to seek out somebody else to, you know get back at her for even thinking of being unfaithful. Yeah. When she wasn't, you know, she never did anything about it. Um, although I guess one can make the argument that she, she, if she, the opportunity presented itself, she would do it. As she yeah. said. So, you know, but, but, um, I, I, and that? I think, well, I was going to say, I'm, I, I want to tie the ending into this really quickly, too. Mm-hmm. Because the idea of never being able to fully trust someone, never understanding if it's the full truth, um, having that, that idea of, will is a dream just a dream? Is real life just real life? Where, where how much of this is, is true is not? Mm. The idea there, I think, comes back to what if what if the shoe's on the other foot here? What if everything that Bill does 
most of the film. What if that's all just a bad dream? But, like, after they go to bed, after having smoked the pot, what if that's just a bad dream, the rest of the film? Okay. And he wakes up, and it's the last, you know, three minutes. And that's what's consciously happening. And what if the affair with the naval officer is real and did actually happen, and she did sleep with him, but he didn't know? I... Mm. I'm kind of like, what if we flip it? Because in implying that, you know, what if it's dreams? What if it's true? I, I kind of want to err on the side of, because she, Alice has such a descriptive bad dream that again, ties in with everything that Bill is wondering while he's, out and about with, you know, his culty friends. Yeah. What if it's all his subconscious creating more meaning? What if this is just, what if this is like Shutter Island, but like way better? (laughs) Yeah, more subtle, like more subtle. I'm just saying better. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that and just subtle as well. Yeah. It's not explicitly but, said, I mean, the, it's not explicitly exactly. like said that, oh, he was dreaming or not. Yeah. You know? it, inception, but different. Yeah. I mean, possibly that's a, that, that could be a, uh, a compelling read interpretation yeah. of, of the film and its events. Uh, I I think it's because, like, the only thing that, you know, they do to distract themselves from this conversation is the last word of the film. Yeah. F-bomb as a verb (laughs) to beep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, like, that's the only thing that they can do about it. I mean, can't take it back. Because, um, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, throughout his whole journey, whether real or not, um, in New York, he, you know, talks to that, the, the prostitute. And he was going into her apartment with the intention of having, uh, sleeping with her. That didn't. That doesn't end up happening because he gets a phone call from his wife. Then he leaves, um, and then, well, even before that, he goes to his patient's house who had died, and his daughter, his his patient's daughter is there, and she's like in shock, obviously, from her dad dying. And then out of nowhere, she like leans in for a kiss and kisses him. Um, That shocks him. And he's like, you barely even know me. Like, what are you doing? You're just very upset right now. You know, you're not thinking straight. Um, And. And that kind of like mirrors a little bit of kind of what. Alice was sort of talking about. 
with the naval officer in a way. Cause she, I mean, she said all, all it took for her was a glance at him. Yeah. You know, and she would <laughs> come like leave her family, leave Bill for this guy, even if it was for one night. I mean, that's what she says in the film. So, you know, I guess in that way, that encounter that he has with um, that woman um, is is sort of making that that conversation, him hearing that from Alice, more real, more convincing to him, because. You know, after that point, he just constantly is thinking about that that encounter um, of his wife and that officer having having relations. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I think absolutely it's real. I mean, he he says, "I know you. I know you better than anyone. I know you wouldn't be like that. I know you wouldn't do that." And that that's what sparks her to tell the story. Like she. She's like, oh, yeah? It's the one-up of, of trying to win the, 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 the argument there. Yeah. And, I mean, he keeps going back to it, which is the repeated flashes of the progression of the relations between Alice and the officer is again why I think that most of that could be a dream. Because it's just, you know, the flashes of, oh, this is what's sending him down that path. You know, the idea of, you know, our dreams are our, our unconscious mind talking to us. Hashtag Freud, hashtag psychology. Um, unconscious, subconscious, don't fall in love with or have relations with your mother. Oedipus complex. Anyways, uh, uh -huh. the, I mean, it, 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 it's absolutely a hundred times more real coming from Alice than anybody else. Oh yeah. Because I, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. It is more real coming from Alice. I mean, but I think, well, I was kind of good at, Oh no! F finish, finish your. Because he can brush off. Uh, I think her name is Marion. His pa the patient's daughter, who's yeah. married to Carl. He can brush that off. Like, no, you're you're in shock. You're having a problem. I'm not into you that way. No, we're good. Yeah. But I mean, he goes out to seek, and he's reminded. Oh, this is my wife. She's normal. She's not. I'm not thinking of her having sex with another dude. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to leave. But before he ends up in her uh, with uh, Domino in the apartment, he is thinking about that. Yeah, That's what drives him that. into that path. Exactly. She picks him up. And then the, the real life wife pulls him out of it. Yeah. It's that. Because also, too, I mean, um, the the other scenes with Bill and Alice together, she is a lot more grounded and is kind of not in that state where she's like going at 
Bill's throat. You know, most especially when she has that nightmare of her being like, well, the dream that she has with all of those her- different guys. Yeah. Um, and then she wakes up crying and she's like terrified of it. Um, so it's something that it's like, it's, uh, it's a, for Bill, it's like, uh, I don't even know. I, I lost my train of thought. I but, forgot what I was. I mean, I'll be honest. After hearing her dream, I want to dive into the headliner of the film. Because yes, after yes. hearing her dream, I couldn't help but imagine. I was waiting for it the entire time. The reveal of Alice being either one of the masked naked women or one of the cloaked guests. I was waiting for it. I was, I was almost expecting it, if I'm honest with you, that she was involved in some way. Um, she's not. But, like, the idea of almost her dream being like she was at one of the parties. Yeah, yeah. Had me just ready to, ready to, to see it coming. Right. But let, let's talk about that. You show up and you give a password to the, uh, the butlers at the gate. They get the car. They bring you up to the house. You give the password. You enter. You mask up. You cloak up. And then everybody's standing around while a piano synth is being played and uh, some poor fella's swinging alm, burning alms. Let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we got Tom, Bill. Bill. He walks into the, the front door. He's greeted by the one of the hosts, butler, whatever. Puts his mask on, puts his hood on. Walks into the grand room, whatever you call that. There are probably at least a hundred plus people in masks, cloaked, hoods on, surrounding this circle of of uh, also masked and cloaked people standing in a circle. While in the middle, there's this guy in draped in red, like a cardinal from the Vatican. Yeah. Uh, where with, uh, and this is where the conspiracy theories get in. I mean, they get pretty wild, but he's, you know, he's, he's got the, um, the incense burner yeah. smoke thing, swinging that around. <laughs> like It's wild. And then you got Nick playing the, the strings or whatever. Very, like very ominous music. I mean, it's such a perfect, like tone setter. With with this whole thing going on, obviously you're not meant to be like, oh how fascinating. Well, it is fascinating, but also, oh my gosh, this is very creepy and terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Then all those all those people sitting in a cor- in a circle stand up, take their their robes off, and it's all a bunch of naked women. Well, they're wearing thongs, but they're they're in the circle and. Like, it's so ritualistic. I mean, it literally is ritual. It is. It's like uh, like a satanic ritual. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like to me. 
Um, and like they each get the blessing to go out and pick somebody. They pick somebody almost at random because nobody knows who each other is. Mm-mm. But they just pick somebody and they're like, come with me. And then um and then Bill makes eye contact with this guy on top of a like on the second story overlooking all this. And they give each other a look. He the guy gives Bill a nod, he nods back. And that that was like their interaction. I presume that to be Ziegler. Oh um, yeah. I saw I think that coming. Ziegler. I yeah, think that Ziegler I probably is my that's my assumption because he's always following too that's the same mask that appears later following him around like that's definitely ziegler yeah yeah definitely. i i 100% am with you on that um and then a, a one of the women come up to to bill and she's like trying to get him out of there um and fucking oh bleep cut that out <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh, that was an oopsie. Oopsie. You didn't hear that. Yeah, didn't hear that. Um <laughs> they were Yeah, she was trying to get him out. And then oh boy. The big bad begins. <laughs> the big bad. The big bad. And just disclaimer, Warner Brothers wanted to censor this scene. Uh, and they did in the theatrical release, um, and that probably actually ruined the the uh, atmosphere of that scene because if you don't see what we see, I mean, what's the point? I mean, the point is to kind of show its vulgarity, its like hedonistic. Um, uh, so nice wide shut party. Yeah, I mean. But anyways, Bill walks in this room. You got all these people going at it like hardcore. Yeah, like hardcore status going at it. <laughs> it's like people standing around just staring. Just staring at this going on. It's it's so weird. It's such a weird vibe. Like none of this is a, like none of this feels right. It's like there's something off about it. Couldn't you know. be the masks, right? Yeah, the mask. Yeah, because they're all wearing they're they're all wearing the mask. They're all wearing the mask. Yeah. See, um, when when I think of masked, I, I'm sorry to derail for a second. When I think of like yeah, masked yeah. balls, and you can't like masquerade things, and it's the stupid people holding up the stupid little lace flimsy masks to their face that cover like the skin around their eyeballs, and that's it. You can still see the jaw outline. You can still see their mouths. Like, the Incredibles, the masks that the Incredibles wear, like, that sort of thing, like, any any sort of f- masquerade like that, that's so stupid. You're so easily recognized. Like, for God's sakes, we can recognize people now, after COVID, with masks on the bottom 50% of their face. I can know people from their forehead, their eyes, and their hair. Yeah. Like, why don't more people cover their entire face so no one actually knows who you are? Mm-hmm. I mean that. that uh, hear me out. The sex cults do it right with masking. Yeah, <laughs> they probably right. never had an outbreak of COVID. 
<laughs> they do it right. <laughs> they cover their whole face. It's disciplined. None of that fancy lace butterfly stuff. No, we're yeah. covering the whole face, and some people have, like, bird noses and open mouths and the, the happy, sad drama masks from Greece. But, I can't believe like, Kubrick managed to get this, like, a not uh, NC-17 rating. I'm surprised it didn't. Although I think I think it would have gotten it if it weren't for Warner Brothers censoring it. Yeah. That scene. I think it would have been NC-17 if they didn't censor it. At least in the States. I don't know about everywhere else in the world, but... He was watching movies for reference to understand how graphic he could be to get the R rating. Like, he was watching Showgirls as a reference. Oh, Showgirl. That's, um... Isn't that a Paul Ver? That's a Paul Verhoeven film, right? Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty. I mean, it looked like porn. <laughs> it kind of looked like, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, just from a, I mean, from a distance, it wasn't like any close-ups or anything. It was obviously, you know, shot from Bill's perspective as he's walking through these rooms, witnessing all this going on. Um, and it's sort of like, like a, like one, the one on the large dining table with all the women on it. It's like it's very kind of like a dance sort of. Yes, like there's a ritualistic nature to to the way that they were moving their bodies, like a like a seduction dance or something like that. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's sex, but it wasn't at least in that particular instance. It wasn't um, like super hardcore, like dominating, like all the men do. Um, in yeah. in the in the in the other sequences that we see. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the trap, I mean, and, and I think this is where the class bit comes in as well. The class piece, uh, that, that Tristan was mentioning earlier, I, that you were mentioning the, the, idea of it it's so obvious and ziegler talks to him afterwards the idea that it's so obvious that you didn't belong here bill you show up in a cab these people show up in limos um you have no idea how out of place you are you i mean for god's sakes when you gave your coat they found the rental slip with your name on it they found the spot they found the guy found everything you know you're screwed. I mean, the traces of, oh, I remember you were talking to the pianist. Oh, that's our connection. Like, it's the most flimsy, uh, like, alibi that he could possibly have. And it's, again, the idea of, yeah, Bill makes a ton of money. These These people who attend these parties regularly, they're even wealthier, even richer, even more powerful, even more. Think of a word describing riches and opulence and fanciness and everything and make it er. 
that's them. Way better than 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 poor poor Bill here. And I mean if we look at this, like they even have they have the resources not only to have Bill followed after the fact, but also to cover their tracks and basically eliminate every single trace that they have left and that he has followed. They I mean I mean, some of this is me being a little bit speculative, but, like, they beat Nick, and I assume that they kill him. They don't actually send him back to Seattle. That would be stupid of them. Um, they, uh, they, I think they, 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 um, they kill Mandy, who is a, a, one of the ritual girls who... Ziegler was having sex with at the party. He is trying to bail Bill out, does successfully. She is then found dead a day later due to an overdose, which is like, oh, it's not suspicious. She overdosed. She was using drugs earlier in the movie. Yeah, but, you know, kind of suspicious that after she says, uh, I redeem myself or I redeem him, that then, you know, he, uh, I don't know. She bites the dust after the pink cloak dude, red cloak dude, says, You understand what this means for your fate? Like a... Like an ultimatum. I mean, you don't say that to people that you're not gonna kill. Like what, is she... Oh no, she's not invited back to one of these parties. Big sad. <laughs> I mean, like... I... <laughs> I... <laughs> I I don't get what the <laughs> I mean they definitely kill her that that's my 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 standing but the um the other thing too is I think that they gave Domino HIV she comes back oh. I mean, he says no but he revisits her and tries to see her again that night I I fully believe that either they doctored the test or they you know administered something to get her a disease. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. I mean, I think it's definitely far-fetched, but I'm like, immediately it went to, they're there. That's them covering their tracks. I mean, why is she nowhere to be seen? Did Is that what happened? Is that what they told her? Or did they just get rid of anybody that he had contact with over that night? I mean... He walks back in, and the mask that he never lost somehow, misplaced, wasn't in his locked cabinet, um, wasn't in the bag of stuff that he returned the day later, is now on the pillow next to his wife, which means that they were in his apartment while his wife slept, which is terrifying like that's the true horror of this like if you want i mean yeah it's a thriller it's a mystery it's a drama it's erotic it's all of that um because i mean there's a lot of flirting in here too if i'm honest but the the sheer fear that gets struck when you when you realize that these people had to have been in the house after Alice goes to bed to put the mask on the pillow 
and stage it in such a way. Like, they have the power to be anywhere, do anything. I mean, the guy following Bill, he doesn't stay following Bill. Bill knows he's being followed, and the guy following him knows that Bill knows. There's no escape. There's no recovery. There's no way that Bill's going to be able to get rid of it. Which is, again, another piece of why I think it's all a dream. Because Bill is... I fully believe that they go to bed after the conversation in which Alice confesses about the naval officer. they, They go to bed. And the the whole rest of it is a dream. It's a revenge. He's got that idea of her being unfaithful to him swimming in his mind. And in his mind, he creates a revenge, a dream. He wants to be one up. He wants to improve. He wants to be that better, I guess. He wants he wants that 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 what I, I actually did it. You you just fantasized about it. I did it. And that's, I mean, it's so, so, so powerful because it, it, I think it puts the ending in perspective when Alice, what, what Alice says is, you know, there, we, we just have to take our minds off of it. We have to do it. I mean, she doesn't say do it, but you know. Or uh, <laughs> <vulgar and> fitting way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the way to forget about being unfaithful. Be faithful. Be, you know, sexually active with your spouse. Which, you know, I didn't have to make it sound that spicy, but I did. And that's sort of what it is. But I mean, like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, if we're, if we're, I mean... If we're looking at class, like, you don't have to rent a cloak if you're going to these parties. You have a cloak. You need. You don't need to rent a mask. You have a mask. You know what you're doing. You know that there's no second password. You don't have to fake it till you make it, pretend to be there. Um, I mean, God. I think this is one of the weirder movies I've seen, but it's just so eye-catching, so captivating, so, you know, visually stunning. I mean, honestly, it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah. And, um, I mean, I think the, uh, I'm talking, you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, hey, a Kubrick, the guy, the guy's a genius. Um, and I think this is a masterpiece. One of his many. And it's a, I think it's a fitting end to his filmography even though I'm sure that he probably would have made another one after this and think he would have retired. But, um, yeah. And, and, uh, like the discussions about the, 
the themes, obviously, and ultimately, obviously, the core tenant, the heart of this film being about relationships. And, you know, Kubrick has kind of always been this filmmaker who famously is famously kind of referred to as this cold director, this guy that makes films that are just kind of very distant and not are are is is very cynical about humans. Yeah. However, I think I think with this with this with eyes wide shut, I think he's kind of showing to us that like you know all of his previous works. Um, I mean, they, they may not be a culmination. I mean, this film's not a culmination of all of his works, and that's kind of misleading to say that because he's kind of delved into different things. But it's obviously considering it's something that he's he you know wanted to make for many decades and was something that was uh, a passion of his. You know, I think it says something about him and his work and being a very humanistic director, these human stories. And, and the fact that he says that this is his greatest achievement in, in cinema, uh, and it being about marriage, about trust, about, you know, obviously sex and power dynamics and all that, but, you know, humans at the core of it all, it's such a, I think it's a fitting, into his his career um as a director you know absolutely and i've seen and i had seen most of his works i except for like was debut and his uh second film after that and also uh spartacus but i'd seen i've pretty much seen all of his uh all of his films um but yeah, I mean, the more, because I, I think this is my third time watching it, I believe. Third or fourth? Sure. And then I kept count. But I think it's my third. And yeah, I mean, the first time I watched it, I was just like, okay, that was really weird. Um, I don't really get it that much. But it looked cool. The second time I watched it, I was like, okay, I kind of get it a little bit more. Uh, and I kind of understand what is going on here, what the themes are, um, kind of what the characters represent. And then obviously now I kind of have a more fully realized idea of what Kubrick was trying to get at in terms of the the dissection of, of jealousy and sex and power behind sex and desire and all those things um because i think it's quite insightful um because it's not like you know it's not like a, a cookie cutter interpretation of those things or dissection of those things i think this film you can you, you there's many layers to it and i think you can dissect it in many different ways and interpret different things um from it Yeah, 
I mean, incredible, incredible work. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. a massive fan. I mean, this is my, what, my second Kubrick, I think, this year. It's still, I mean, I, I think the effort, the lengths that he goes to capture the right amount of visual, the right um, effects, the right angles, the right moments, headspace in his actors. I mean, truly, it's impressive. Oh, yeah. Most certainly. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's great. It's great. Uh, I, I did, I did want to mention real quickly, I kind of alluded to it, I didn't really talk about it, um, was about some of the conspiracy theories surrounding this film. Yeah. And nope. if you wanted to, if you wanted, okay. So, you know, there's theories about, well, a more outlandish one is that Kubrick was killed because of making this film. Uh, I don't believe that in any sense of the word. <laughs> anyway, he died of a heart attack so uh, or heart disease, some, something related to the heart. Um, and he was pretty old. He was like 76, I think, 75. Um. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's people out there that believe that. And then there's a theory that, and I kind of wanted to interject when you were talking about the cult part of the film and the women there. You know, I guess you could say maybe make the argument that all those women there were consenting adults and were not like trafficked. Although probably that's not the case. They were probably trafficked. Yeah. Or at least, you know, convinced that that would be in their best interest. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But in the scene before he goes to the party, and we didn't talk about this, but when he goes to get his costume from Village, he, he has a daughter who's like, 16 one of, like that. yeah she's young she's like a minor she's in this like separate room with these two like older dudes who are like in their 50s 40s or whatever <clears throat> and they're they're all in their underwear so you know we kind of have the idea of what they were doing in there um and people think People kind of extrapolate that to think that maybe Kubrick was trying to allude to this child sex trafficking ring that was happening in like higher elite societies, which you know obviously we now know is true um, with Epstein and all that. Uh, but like, <laughs> maybe I don't know that. Like that sh showing that little girl before the the big scene. Is like his way of saying, "Oh, look, like some some weirds going on." I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit more also far fetched. I, I think it is a little far fetched, but I think it leans more into the power idea. But I mean, they yeah, I, yeah. back into it. I mean, they obviously they know where he got the costume from. They obviously know how to get to Milich 
And so Milich, instead of calling the police, getting them involved and having it be exposed, oh, this guy was in late at night and he wanted a cloak. He was going to some party. They'll end up questioning Bill. He'll lead them to where the party was and why that was, which makes me think that, again, they probably aren't consenting adults or at least perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Happy to be there. Um, Yeah. The idea that Milich is now happy that the two men are with his daughter. I I feel implies the fact that he has decided to, you know, let her go, embrace the sexual um, freedom, and I th- I think he's basically just her pimp at that point, like, <laughs> you know, because he's like you know ah oh, yes you got it uh, and anything if you need anything at all hugs his daughter close to him while she's in her underwear still, um. If you need anything, you know, you let me know. Uh, I'm here for you. Read you loud and clear, bud. <laughs> yeah. Messages received. <laughs> crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. That was like, that was probably the most shocking thing for the first time. I was more shocked to see that than I was uh, oh, the massive sex, sex party cult. <laughs> Not gonna lie, this is like, dude, what are you doing? She's your own daughter, she's like a child, bro. What, yeah, you know, if I was gonna start a cult, it wouldn't be one of the uh, the sex ones, it would be one of the weird gaslighty ones that make you think like it'll be like one that pervades the Mandela effect, yeah. Maybe Kubrick, oh, say, say, sorry, what were you saying? I'm just saying that's the kind of cult I would start if I were the kind of person who would start cults. And maybe Kubrick was like sex being between uh, a a loving couple, a spouse, you know, one and one. Nothing else. I don't know. (laughs) Please, no orgies, please. Like, no orgies, no rituals, obviously no minors, no the uh, that goes without saying, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh my gosh! But yeah, I mean, we talk about it for a while. I don't. I mean, at this point, we've gone on for God knows how long. But a point while. is, point is, eyes wide shut is amazing. Go watch it. Uh, surprisingly, considering the taboo nature of this film and its themes and what it what is seen in it, uh, you would think that kind of not like it as much, especially in America. You know, the very puritanical country we live in. Um, unity and sex is like extremely taboo. Um, and you would think that maybe people wouldn't like it as much given that, but no, it's a it's a pretty well received film. Um, it's Kub- it's Kubrick's highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. It's yeah. his. Uh, it opened. It's his only film to open at number one on its debut weekend. Um, it was well received by critics too. Oh, at the time, yeah, 
Well, yeah. And to this day, and to this day, of course. Yeah. But yeah, um, amazing film. Please go watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, I think it's a masterpiece. I don't know if you agree, but... I think it's impressive, at the very least. But will this lead me into my, my, my segment? Yes, yes, yes. Oh boy. Okay. So, my variety segment for tonight is called... What's the cost? <laughs> I, I I wonder if you know where I'm going with this. So, as we've discussed, Bill goes out uh, one night after uh, he and Alice have the uh, discussion. He spends a lot of money that night. A lot of money. Oh, yeah. So, yes, let's, go, let's go through and, and discuss how much... Bill spends on his night. So he starts out, and he's heading to, uh, he's heading around, he's heading around, um, he goes to visit the, uh, patient. Doesn't spend any, well, I mean, he takes a cab to get there, so cab fare. Central Park West to, I think he's, you said he's out in Long Island at that point, or maybe it's like Midtown. But, um, but he cab fare. That's that's a little bit of cost at that point. We'll we'll call it twenty bucks. Okay. Okay. Twenty bucks cab fare. Right. So fine. Now he's done. Now he's walking the streets. He's walking, which is not costing him anything. But then he meets Domino. Ends up going to her apartment. Spends a little time there. Spends a little wealth. I mean, he pays her, but they don't do anything. But he pays her one hundred and fifty bucks. So there we are. We're up to 170 bucks. Now he exits and he's heading around and he goes to the uh what is it? The Sonata Cafe? Yep. Sonata Cafe, he orders a beer. Yeah. How much beer. is that beer going to cost? Let's call that 2-3 bucks. No. He's easy easy like Well, okay, we'll call that 4 bucks. 174 bucks right now. All right, so he's got the idea. Now he's he's talked to Nick a little bit, and he's got the idea of, oh, well, this is what I'll I'll have to do. I gotta rent this costume. So he takes a cab to the costume shop. No idea how far it is, but I have a feeling it's decent. Uh, it's a short walking distance. So let's call that cab ride ten bucks, one eighty four. He then rents the costume. Now he doesn't get the bill until later in the morning. Huh? Funny. Bill gets the bill. But Bill gets the bill. It's because of the lost mask over the night and the return of everything. That, and plus, he promises to pay $200 over the rental fee. That costs him 375 bucks, which brings our grand total up to 550 About. 59 559 559 Yeah. Gotcha. All right, so we're at 559 which is, by the way, a lot of money. That's that's more than my rent right now. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's bad. That's really bad. Um, and we're not done. Not only does he do that, he takes. And then after he gets the outfit, he takes the cab to the party. That ends up being about seventy-five dollars on the way there. He promises an extra hundred. 
plus the meter running as long as he's he's there. The meter runs for probably... An hour? uh, It'll be two two hours. hours. The party starts at... The party starts at 2, but everybody's already there. So let's say he gets there at 2.30. But he's back at home at 4. So the meter's running for an hour and a half. Which, I don't know how expensive cab fare it was in 1999. But that's a really, really, really expensive hour and a half to be in there and be driving. Plus the extra 100 bucks. So you've got 175 on top of the 559 which takes us to was that 724 something like that 734 734 so we end up at 734 plus whatever the cab fare is from what it was running so that's Two probably it's probably that's probably an extra we'll call that an extra 100 bucks easy let's say what about what about 150 uh yeah i'll call that an extra easy 150 yeah, so we'll add that on to the 734. Uh, That's going to be 884. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and then he gets home. And, he, and I mean, this dude, this dude is spending almost $1,000 in one night. One night. One like, night. Oh, 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 wait, you forgot something. I did? I probably did. Oh, wait. What did I forget? Or is that the? Oh, that's a different night. That's the night after, where he yeah. spends twenty five cents on the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that is the next night. Yeah, but this guy is spending nine hundred dollars on one night. Like, I mean, like I'm I'm gonna use an expletive here. I'm just warning you ahead of time, and I'm sorry, but uh, like. Bill is rich. Bill is rich as hell, right? But the oh, people yeah. who are in that cult, the red robe and the masked and the people who go to those parties, they're fuck you rich. They're so <laughs> they're so rich, they make the rich seem poor. Like Bill is this rich, he shows up in a cab. As opposed to, you know, the, the limos and the stretches and like they don't have to, he doesn't have to take a golf cart up to the stupid mansion. They have somebody to do that for them. It's ridiculous. Anyways, that's that's my segment. It's uh, what's the cost? And it's too darn much. <laughs> yeah, too much. <laughs> that's uh, put accurately. That's that's oh. funny. I mean, the way you put it, that's pretty accurate. Uh, they, they not only are they that rich, they're so rich that they can do whatever they want and get away with it. No problem. No questions asked. That's how rich those people are. It's obscene. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um. Yeah. yeah. And this will bring us to our final segment of the night. Yes, yes, yes. The drip. Who had the who had the, the best, best drip? drip? Who had the best drip? Ooh, you know, I uh, honestly that's tough. Tough for me. I, to... I have a controversial pick. Man, I'm trying to think. I feel like I have two options here. So if you'd like, I can go first. 
Okay, go first. You go. First. So my my first option, kind I feel like it's kind of basic, but I mean, the red robe from the cult. <laughs> I mean, hear me out. It it works. It yeah. really does work. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, honestly, it's it's oh boy, it's just exuding power. <laughs> it does, it does. But my other my other pick might just be Sally. Or wait, no, Domino. Uh, I oh, one no. of them. Honestly, both of them in the apartment. I think that they they have the 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 classiest drip. The purple okay. the purple gown for Domino. The uh. The hoodie and the and the the baggy jeans for Sally. I mean, I yeah yeah yeah. That's that's sort of where I'm leaning. Uh, oh man, the best drip. Oh they had the best drip. Huh? Oh, dude, 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 dude. I I I know. She's wearing that pea coat when they're in FAO Schwartz at the end of the film. That right there, best best fit. Who, Alice or Bill? Alice, Alice. What she's wearing at the end of the film when they're in the toy store. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that okay, that yeah, right that, there. that works. Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. But we hope that'll bring us to an end here. We hope that you enjoyed uh, the episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for coming back with us every week. Again, a reminder, if you listen to our 50th episode, um, In the Mood for Love, and answer correctly my variety game show that we pitch in that, uh, you get the chance to pick our episode that'll air on, uh, and release on January 10th. If you, if if no one does, you know the first person to guess correctly. Like I have, I have the answer, but the first person to guess correctly will then get to pick a future episode. Mm-hmm. So, and, you guys got you know, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, well, you got like up until what, like the week before. <laughs> yeah, because we have a we have a backup planned. Yes. For that week, just in case. Yeah. But uh. The that that contest is still out there. Again, message us at odyssey.of.cinema on Instagram. That's where to, you know, let us know, hey, really love this episode. Hey, really hated this episode. Hey, I'm a big fan of uncut gems, to which I ask, why? Um <laughs> the, the, I mean the uh That that's where to keep up with uh, all our updates, our schedules. We're working on you know developing a few more platforms for a few more bits of content for you that'll hopefully uh, you know put us in front of a camera a little bit more instead yeah, of just behind yeah. a microphone. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, continuing the trend of Christmas-ish movies, that because this one is a Christmas movie technically. Uh, next week. Episode 52, uh, what is it, 46, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life? Yes, yeah, which, classic. 
to this day, my father still can't believe that I haven't seen. You haven't seen it? No. Wow. That's, I just know. That's shocking. that's shocking. I just know that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen it once, and I do not remember a single thing. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't that's remember weird. anything. So I'm basically watching it with fresh eyes, even though I technically have seen it. I just don't remember anything. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but who knows? I might, you know, I was like, like a child, so you know, I'm older now. Yeah, but I mean, it's a wonderful life coming up. James Stewart, great work. Um, yes, I mean, hopefully you enjoyed it. Thank you again for listening. Yeah, tell your friends. You know, if you're a podcast person, you want to hear some good film recommendations. Hey, it's the Cinematic Odyssey. Go listen. They're pretty cool. Yeah, we are. I think that'll do it for our eyes wide shutting. (laughs) Oh, another tidbit there. Eyes wide shut. What could that mean? They're dreaming. (gasps) (laughs) I was right. All right. But um, yeah, thank you everybody for listening. I know this has gone on for probably two hours. I don't know. It's been a while. I think it's been two hours. Far too long. Far too long. An hour over our average. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um, But thank you for all those that have gotten up to this point. Um, and all of the loyal listeners out there. Yes, next week, It's a Wonderful Life, the Christmas classic that everybody knows and loves. Uh, I don't really know anyone who doesn't know that film or hasn't seen it, except for you, Max. I think you're the first person that I know that hasn't seen it before. Pleased to be here, Tristan. Yeah. So, um, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. This has been Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick, Cinematic Odyssey, forever. <laughs>